This is Kevin Van Trump. I just wanted to update our uh, subscriber base. We're probably not going to be able to have our annual event, uh, FarmCon, here in Kansas City anytime soon. We usually have it uh, sometime between December and January. It looks like Kansas City's not going to allow that to take place with a thousand people under one roof uh, this year, anyway. I, I'm hoping that maybe as we move forward into the spring, uh, things will change. Uh, maybe even into the late winter, they will allow that if we see. Uh, how things play out with the vaccine and things of that nature. Also, some of our partners and the people that we put the show on with, you know, they're not certain they could send key employees uh, and key parts of their executive team to a meeting that had that many people either. So what we wanted to do in the interim uh, between now and the event, uh, which we hope, like I said, we can just postpone a little bit rather than in uh, January, we postpone it to maybe the spring or, or before planting, hopefully, um, we wanted to bring along some conversations, some various conversations with people that are, I believe, uh, important and informed players uh, in the ag sector and in the ag space. Talk a little about our own personal investments, talk about what we see happening in uh, agriculture and what we see happening with the uh, current prices and, and where we're headed for the future. So uh, I don't wanna take up much more of your time. I just wanted to uh, say I appreciate uh, everyone's support. We hope to have the FarmCon event back live, uh, like I said, in, into the first half of 2021. I'll keep everyone updated. Uh, and in the meantime, just kind of enjoy these conversations. It's just gathering of some of my friends and, and people I respect and have taught me a lot in the industry uh, on some Zoom calls and just uh, kind of mid-conversation. So hope you enjoy it. Have a good one. Thanks. Want to welcome everybody. Yeah, Kevin. I appreciate it. started with you. Yeah, sorry about that, Todd. Yeah, and I appreciate Mary and Travis jumping on with us. We're Kansas City's probably 100% going to shut us down on FarmCon, um, which is obvious. I think everyone knew that. We were going to thought maybe we could push it back into February, March, but I don't know if that's going to. I don't know if that's going to fly either. In my opinion, I. I I don't think any gatherings with that kind of a number of people is going to happen. So, you know, we're probably just going to have to shut it down and cancel because we get into planting. And so we wanted to be able to bring people together. And obviously we're not charging one or anything like that, but share with some of the leaders that were on stage and, and shared the last couple of years, kind of what they've seen uh, through this Corona, where we're headed as we come out of this um, changes in food, changes in consumer sentiment. I've been on a few calls and I keep hearing the term or I, I'm hearing the term tossed around, you know, uh, socially correct farming, uh, you know, things of this nature. And maybe, uh, I don't know, you know, where we're going to go with the climate change and the clean energy and the big changes uh, that we may see in our leadership and, you know, how, how it's all going to shake down. So, you know, I find it really interesting. And, and I got two great people on the call today, Mary Shellman. Uh, and Travis Potter and you know Mary kind of kick us off here for a second and just tell us a little about what you've been seeing out on your end. Mary's in Boston, Travis is in Idaho uh, and and we'll go from there. Thanks Mary. Yeah yeah thanks Kevin it's great to be on and sorry we can't be back in Kansas City I was just saying I remember last year getting out of there was my last big taste of winter was you know trying to uh, to get out as that storm came through but it was a bunch of great people and I think you know the great thing about being able to do programs like this is we can reach so many more people um, the bad thing is you can't have the conversations in the hallway 
or um, you know, over over the lunch table and the great barbecue that that we were served. And so I really miss that, and I look forward to getting back to it. Um, from the the Boston Lens, you know, we were it really shut down early on. You know, the state actually did a pretty good job and moved a lot of things outdoors, right? So that's one of the things that I see is actually uh, kind of rediscovering these little town centers, maybe a lot more like the South that that I grew up in, you know, people coming together, you actually see your neighbors now because nobody's going any place, you're walking, except now it's winter time. So, and it gets dark at four o'clock. So, you know, the pressure again for people to meet and things. But from a food system standpoint, I'd say a lot of people here are really shocked um, to find that their supermarket shelves were empty. Uh, at certain times, um, the, you know, certainly a lot more awareness of, you know, kind of thinking about where to come from, a lot of interest in, you know, buying local because maybe you can't, you can get it there from the farmer. And I was just on a call the other day, so I'm from Kentucky and I keep really strong ties there. Hearing from um, some group, I was asking the question to them about this, you know, this kind of local regional food system is that something that's gonna stay? You know, because a couple of folks were on, they were doing local meat processing, local meat retail. And they said, hey, you know, our, um, you know, our, the, you know, we had a, a lot of interest, it really peaked. It's come back, settled down to a certain level. But, you know, the question is, you know, how can we hang on to that? And um, so that's a big question in my mind right now. We talk a lot about resilience, Kevin, and, you know, so for a resilient food system, we need more distributed production. We're set up to be very efficient. When you have distributed production, that's not as efficient. You have extra capacity. And, you know, so are people going to be willing to pay? Is it who pays? You know, is it the consumer? Is it that processor level that says, this is like an insurance policy that I'm buying from more places. And if we've got a sudden pivot, you know, we can handle it. Or does it get pushed back down to the farmer? Like typically happen, we get a case where we get something that's out of balance on supply and demand. So that that's, if we could talk about that, I think that'd be a great conversation. Yeah. Carter just joined us. Carter, good afternoon. I'm here. Carter. Excuse me? Yeah, I can hear you. Carter's down in St. Louis. I'm assuming, are you in St. Louis or you're in a hotel? I'm in St. Louis. Oh, I didn't know if you were traveling or something. But you're not. No, you're I'm not traveling at all. I'm, I'm, I'm in St. Louis at the end of the week, and then I'm encamping in Michigan for a little while if nobody's got COVID. Carter's got a badass, uh, cool uh, office in his basement. Is that in your basement? The one that's in like Michigan? Yeah, it's in my basement. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. So I thought maybe we'd see it. But yeah. No, uh, not right now. After after Friday, that's where I'll be for a couple weeks. Cool, cool. Mary was just telling me she had bought a place up in the uh, mountains up in New Hampshire. And she's, she's hunkered down in Boston right now, but they're going to go back and forth up there. Yeah. That's pretty cool up there. Yeah, right. for sure. New so New Travis, what, yeah. Travis, what are you hearing on the front Mary was talking about? I mean, you're kind of got the tractor soda thing moving forward and How's that playing out? And what, what He's are we doing, doing great with Tractor Soda. All I ever hear about is people talking about Tractor Soda, and it's like, we knew <laughs> Travis when. Yeah, no, Travis isn't any different. I, I just smell more like sheep, you know, because I'm on the farm more, so I'm doing more farm stuff. But uh, no, we're, we're doing all right. So uh, we're food service focused, which is good and bad. 
bad when uh, you have COVID and all the restaurants are shut down or running at half mass or quarter mass. Um, we, we do have some big accounts that are doing well. Uh, we did pivot into ready to drink products uh, just because our customers needed it for the, the drive-through. And uh, so you'll see that at Chipotle, our, we have a lemonade and a tea we made and I'm, I'm working on a bunch of other products uh, as well. But in general, the, the restaurant industry has been really beat up uh, bad. I would say that something like 60% of the restaurants are going to be shut down this year and, uh, and they're not going to make it. You know, it's a, it's a mess. It's also a mess for commercial real estate, which I'm sure um, Kevin understands. And uh, it's, it's uh, stuff that we need to be working on, uh, on helping out those. Oh, I got cut out here. Oh, you, right. you guys see me there? Okay. Uh, there's uh, it's stuff that we need to be working on in general, you know, the bigger chains are going to be around. Smaller chains are, are, are going to get gobbled up by the bigger bigger chain money. And uh, and the mom and pops are going to have to go do something different. So it's a, it's a bit of a mess now. I, it's a, it'll be a couple years before it bounces back up from a, from a restaurant perspective. People people are going to be definitely going into, uh, you know, they're, as they're hunkering down, they'll learn how to cook again. I, I think people are so busy, as Mary was saying, that, um, it, in the old days, people would actually see their neighbor, maybe maybe even shake their hand, uh, give them a hug. Uh, they uh, it, now for the past three or four years, five years, maybe uh, maybe longer, it's been you might live live somewhere and not know your neighbor whatsoever. Uh, but on Facebook, you've got you know a million friends or whatever, and uh, but nobody ever talked to each other. Now it's interesting. Up until just a, a few, uh, you know, it, it, until about a month and a half ago. Here in Idaho, I saw more kids on bikes than I've seen since the '80s. It was crazy. Like bike sales must have been awesome this year. Uh, bike sales and then off buying the bikes. charts. I tried to yeah. buy a new bicycle six months to get try, it. Try to buy off. some dumbbells uh, in June. Like yeah, there you go, dumbbells too. <laughs> yeah, dumbbells, bicycles, and toilet paper and beef. Those are those are the those yeah. are the <laughs> the big issues, right? So. Uh, what, what I've got, I had, I had a, a major chain call me and say, you know, we're down a million pounds of beef a week. Now imagine that. Like we can't get enough beef because our demand's gone so up so much. So I can't say who it was, but it's a chain that you, you know, you eat outside. So uh, when you see how it's happened, what's happened to the food service industry, it's pretty interesting. Now the grocery shelves, and I was the guy that was saying, hey, the middle of the store is dead. And the opposite happened. Right, people are back home. People are eating more cereal than they've eaten in a very long time. But just getting off the sugar thing was probably a, you know, is a bit of a slap in the face on on some product development on what should be done for for that. But uh, but what what I'm seeing is is as people are at home, and uh, the snack food side is it jumped up a lot. I talked to some C store folks, and and uh, although their overall sales have dropped a lot uh, because people aren't driving as much, their snack food sales have gone up a tremendous amount and the whole snackification and people not really eating meals, but kind of just snacking all day long uh, has, has gone a long ways. And uh, with people not eating out as much and they're sitting on their butt in their house uh, and they're getting their COVID-19 pounds on that, uh, that they're now going back to like healthier snacks. So we're seeing some interesting uh, dynamics in that. And then also the direct to consumer dynamic is pretty interesting where, you know, FedEx and, and Amazon are kicking some butt uh, right now. They're, you know, they are our grocery store, right? Uh, most people, instead of going to Costco and, and loading up, they've got somebody dropping it off for them. So as you look at what's happening now, it's, uh, it's more packaging, more people delivering more boxes of stuff to our houses, but for how much longer? And we're probably seven or eight months, I'm guessing, 
until that kind of goes back. People are craving going out to their favorite restaurant that won't be there uh, soon. And uh, it, if it goes the way that it's going, restaurant industry is going to be pretty beat up. Uh, commercial real estate, especially in cities, are bad. What's interesting, though, is like the Midwest and the South um, are doing better because they've, you know, they're more open. Uh, it's probably warmer, so people are outside more. Uh, the further north you go, if people are hunkered down in their house, they're just not doing anything. Um, and then, let me ask you a question. Yeah. You know how we talked, and all of us talked, that we were going to see the farmer, and we were starting to see him go more um, decommoditize a little bit, and people like you go direct to Whole Foods and sell your beef, or you know, sell your uh, track soda and grow things that went to Chipotle or what I, and are we seeing that back off some because the restaurant industry is going to get smacked so hard are guys going to have to pivot back to traditional or are we going to see it increase what do we all think as a group I don't, I don't know I'm not sure I don't know uh, it's going to be more niche stuff for sure anybody the, have anything on that I mean yeah just from a commodity perspective we're always going to have commodity products um, I do think there, there are going to be more niches uh, there's a lot more because of the plant shutting down and there's only, you know, there are only a handful of plants in the whole country producing or processing beef and pork. And as they couldn't produce, uh, the little guys are getting hammered. So every little butcher shop locker um, in the country just was hammered. Like they three to five times as much business as normal. Usually their seasons were the fall when everybody's stocking a freezer. And now they're, you know, a lot of these guys that I'm talking to that are local here, but also throughout the country, They've got, I don't know, like a year or two out from being able to get it done. Places like Oklahoma, they're giving money to all the, the, the small plants to expand, to hire more people, to be able to butcher more animals. And so I do see uh, an expansion from where we've gone to you know, a couple massive buyers in the meat side to going back to regional. A lot of people are putting money into small plants throughout the country. We're going to go, back, we're gonna go from maybe 15 plants in the country to, to 15 per state. Uh, back like like it was in the 70s and 80s, people are stocking their freezers because they're worried about beef prices. Beef prices go up and down. Um, you know, pork, you know, all kinds of things happen there. Um, you know, chicken's been been cranking as normal. Uh, but there are going to be some more niche stuff going into the future. People are eating at home, but they're also getting bored of eating, um, you know, beef, pork, and chicken. I, I am seeing a, a change in the whole plant-based deal. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, the plant-based thing's taking over. At, when they're at home and their friends aren't around them, uh, they're pounding meat and dairy. It just—it's happening. Like it's uh, it, it, when you, it, it, you know, it, it, if they're not around their friends and they're they're not be, they have to, they're not to be flexitarians. Um, you know, they're they're cooking stuff and posting stuff that they wouldn't have done six months ago. You know, so it's uh, pretty interesting to watch that. I wonder just because I know Carter and I talked and I'd mentioned Mary, we had started to see pretty good traction Carter with like some farmers shifting gears and growing some more specialty type crops and even uh, things like, like with Kelly at Macaris. But, but some of our farmers were having a hard time finding a place to sell them, you know, to market them. And we started to see more lanes open up, but I just worry that uh, with a lot of the restaurants closing and, and some of the other things, they may, that, those lanes may close back down. What are you hearing, Carter and Mary? I don't know that I'm hearing anything durable. Nothing. I mean, I, uh, you're getting these episodic things, and I think you've got some weird supply chain shocks. Um, so I, 
Travis may have some better perspective on this, Mary, but I have zero idea if, if a farmer said, how should I change my product mix? I have zero idea on what to tell them um, other than the main thing that we're telling them, which is impossible is looking for a deeper stack of information around their product. They can't get that information from ADM. They're asking Benson to give it and they're asking Benson to go find them farmers. And there's an opportunity for a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars of premium soy production available as a as a switch in that system. Um, but you know, a couple hundred thousand acres of soy is, you know, a drop in the bucket right now. But that's I don't know that we get enough signal from specialty. The other you know, I'm still macro on specialty. I mean, I, I the, the mission I've got going on specialty right now is increasing awareness of the Mid-South as a location for the arbitrage on specialty away from California to serve East Coast, which, which is something we're getting ready to sort of inform more people about. And it, but in terms of near term, I anything we say near term to farmers about crop shifts, I think is meaningless because they're because of just the, the, the whole system is so disrupted. Oh. So Carter, what I'm, what you're saying from a simpleton, my head is maybe look to grow products for impossible beyond some of these people that are making a deeper push into the space. They may need people to grow mung beans. They may need whatever their supply pipeline looks like. They're going to need those products. Yeah, Maybe I some. mean, I think that's the long move and get informed about what they need. But I, we're still in the early phase of that. So I don't know if I've got, I don't have anything that helps them, gives them an answer for a year, for the next two years. From a product development perspective, uh, that's one of the biggest issues with, with it is, the flavor pr profile when we grow like say uh, peas is too strong in the US. Uh, the majority of the peas that are used for a lot of the alternative meats are not grown in the US. They're grown in where the minerals are different. And so they've got different varieties and different mineral uptake. And so when a lot of people think that they're gonna grow peas for that, that market, the taste is off. So it's gonna come back to understanding your soil and understanding the flavor profile of if you did produce it, how it would taste because chances are you it might go into livestock feed still so that's where it gets interesting on on what to grow for like you're talking about with impossible and those guys there's going to be a uh, some challenges of what what they can grow what they shouldn't uh, you know we're in idaho they're going to be growing a lot of things here a lot of those products that they're using are probably gm products um in the in the beet side which is going to need to change nobody's really fixing that um there's and they're if they go towards more organic they're gonna have to have organic crops and land that they're gonna spend a couple of years getting there. So there's gonna be a, but there's there's definitely ups and downs with the whole, the restaurant industry, industry being shut down and that's the majority of their bigger margin. Uh, it's, it's gonna be a big hit. People are not necessarily cooking a lot of that stuff at home as much as, as they think they are. Uh, there, obviously there's some sales spike in it, but everybody and their brother's trying to get into it. And uh, it's just gonna, it's basically just like commodity products, it's gonna be a race to the bottom. There's some guys that have way better products than, than the ones that are winning right now that are coming out in the next 
you know, six months to a year and they're produced better. The ingredients are not coming from this country though. So that's where it comes back to what are you gonna grow? But what I've seen is, this is an interesting part. What I've seen is, is with the struggle of fresh fruits, like strawberries got a, got a butt kicking this year um, in Florida and California, there's gonna be interesting spots where they're gonna be growing strawberries in like you know, Oklahoma and Arkansas, places they, they might've before, but they didn't have any labor. Uh, now they've got people want work and, uh, and places like California and, and Florida just don't have the laborers to, to pick it up. So it's either going to go automated or it's going to go niche crops. And it's also middle of the country where they have better distribution. Now you'll see some of those specialty crops that are high margin uh, crops come into you know, lower acreage. Maybe people still do everything else, but they're going to expand into some, some fresh products or some products that can be dried that are higher value and more premium for the future. I what are you hearing out there, Mary? Are you seeing a push in the consumer trend to uh, healthier? What, what are you seeing? Like, I thought Travis brought up a good point, how we shifted back a little bit. Yeah. Well, I do think, though, it, you know, I've, a bit in Carter's camp, it's hard to say what's going to endure from this. Um, but, you know, it goes back to that question, what Travis was just talking about. You know, we see like strawberries in Oklahoma or something. Um, you know, the that states are investing in local meat processing. Um, you know, Kentucky's doing the same thing right now to get more processing on the ground. And this idea about, you know, local and regional food systems rather than this big national or a global food system, again, I think that's a, you know, that's a million dollar question. Who's going to pay for it? Who's going to be willing to pay for it? Um, from the, the standpoint, you know, a good trend that's come out of this, I think people generally are more aware that what you eat has a big impact on your health now, and certainly the immunity boosting foods. Carter kind of started this conversation in my mind a couple of years ago, and it's been, it's really caught me as, a, as an area of interest in how we could, you know, have a healthier diet without actually forcing people to change what they eat. You know, is there a way to do that? But, you know, just overall, I think there's you know, more of appreciation. I do think, you know, as we come out of this, people have huge fatigue. Yeah, we've been cooking at home, right? I, I told my husband last night, it's like, I, I am so over this, right? <laughs> because we can cook. And one of the challenges is, is that like he eats a certain set of things. He eats beef and he eats uh, chicken and he eats like spaghetti, but he doesn't eat seafood or he doesn't eat pork or, and these are things that I like. So when you go back to a restaurant, you can order what you want. When you're cooking at home, you're kind of forced into this thing of this lowest common denominator of what, you know, everybody will eat. And I think we're going to see this, you know, this kind of can't wait to get out of here. And, um, you know, let's get back out again. Travis completely agree. You know, what, what the choices are going to be are going to be really changed compared to what they were coming in. I think the prices are gonna be a lot higher um, as you know, people have to recover, but maybe also people will be more appreciative of that and say, hey, I'm willing to pay that premium for you to cook for me and for giving me this menu diversity that I can't get at home. Interesting. I'm on this, I'll get Carter right What was that? I said, I'm on this, uh, I get Carter riled up. You guys will be, you guys will like, it. I'm on this rural versus urban kick. And it kind of started with uh, our friend in Australia uh, with David uh, Farley. And he had sent us that thing and said, you know, 
the Australian government was a little worried about the United States and their insight and intel was that it wasn't a black white thing. It wasn't a haves or have not thing that the country's turned into a rural versus urban. And yeah. you kind of see that with the election. And I, it really made me stop and think. And I was like, that, that is crazy. And, but it's, it really makes you stop and think. And as you play that forward into food, and I bring this up because it's so interesting. So Michelle and I, we were, grew up in a split, split world, really. I was farm boy, country kid, grew up on farms through, hey, she was more of a city girl. And I saw her at a party. We were in high school. Who's that? You know, and they're like, oh, she's a city girl. She's from the city. And, you know, and so we kind of did a thing and we get married. And, but we always go back to, there's a, there is a difference. And our life and me being overweight, my family's been pretty overweight. Michelle and I always laugh when we fly into the Midwest. And a lot of big overweight people. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of more overweight people than when you're on the coast and through the Midwest. But our whole lives growing up on a farm revolved around eating. We all had to be at the dinner table. We all had to get together every holiday, every birthday. I mean, our lives centered around food and it's how we grew up and it's what we loved and thanksgivings and you didn't change it and you kept eating the same thing so to think that and my wife my my grandmother told my wife when she we had got married now kevin likes to eat breakfast at about five o'clock 5 30 and you need to be up about half hour ahead of him to get that break my wife was like because my wife had a good job she's like holy shit i'm like getting the talking you know, and it's interesting that Mary says that, and it's, but yeah, I mean, we've huge spreads, all the family, all the people, and when I'm out and about, when I go out and speak, when I go to the rural communities, come over to our house, we're making this big spread for it, it all revolves around food, and I'm not sure, like, we're just sitting here saying, um, you know, the urban people, it's going to be all about restaurants, it's going to be all about being able to order your own thing, do this, and that. I don't think rural is going to change. I'm not sure rural America is going to go that much. I, I, it feels like everything's just getting splintered and divided. And it's just, I can't believe it, but it certainly feels like that. Anyway, the more I keep looking at each individual thing, you know. So here's, here's an interesting part of that. City people are drawn to how country people live. And, uh, and then country people are drawn to the cities because they've got fun yeah. food and interesting yeah. things. What, what I see in the next 10 years is city stuff that people dig, Indian food, Thai food, you know, good Mexican is going to be more in the, in the country. And you're also going to have, you know, in the, in the cities, it's going to be more walk up, um, a glass barrier, kind of like the old Dairy Queens and yeah. burger places of the, in the past were. And uh, in the country, they're still going to be out, you know, have a, a big old hoedown outside and inside and it's going to be as big as I lost Travis. Um, so while he's chatting, I, I mean, I just, just the diversity of the market. I think I, I, one non sequitur here is the, the, the battle over hillbilly elegy. I read that book. I think I know what it meant. It, and, there's now a battle over, like, did what he's saying in the book, was that really sort of true or whatever? I mean, it's just this weird battle over 
You know, now that's not really the way America is. It's like, well, that's sort of the point of the book was to say that there's a disconnect in an understanding of, of people. And then people are seeing the movies like, oh, yeah, the guy who wrote that book doesn't know what he's talking about. So uh, it's just a peculiarity. I don't get it. Um, so I don't know how to interpret the rural versus there is a schism. I and people are transferring back and forth from that schism. I don't know if it's a negative or a positive schism, but there's a distinctly different schism. And uh, I, you know, in the context of how to make money and how to grow and and how where the opportunity is, um, I mean, they just strike me as two different kinds of early adopter markets. Um, well, that hillbilly elegy piece of it, I mean, that's the, the world that I grew up very close to, right? So I think that, you know, having lived for the last 30 some odd years in Boston, but still keeping very strong roots to Kentucky. And it, it's just helps us understanding and seeing it. And I can see why the divide is, is so wide. And I just think it's a lack of, of respect, you know, lack of the you know, kind of this cultural understanding, appreciation, um, you know, the fact that you know, people in, in rural areas don't want to be saved. They don't want to all be like, you know, their yeah. Boston neighbors. And in Boston, it's like, oh, everybody should be like us. It's like, no, you know, we don't want it to get there. there you and, yeah, so I was on a call the other night and with a group back in Kentucky, a leadership group there. And, and, and they were talking about now, though, about, you know, this move out of the cities into, you know, back into rural. Now that remote, you can work every place. It's all smaller cities are more attractive. Everybody now wants to become like a hobby farmer. Is there a new market for equipment for these hobby farms, right? You know, my dad sold Kubota's years ago when they were like for the hobby farms and then they grew up. Um, so it's like, you know, they're pricing land out of, out of you know, the range for a real farm. They, they don't have the same economic background and we're scared to death, you know, sitting here in these small communities that all these folks moving in, they're gonna bring in, you know, their big ideas and they want to change it to where it's like where they left, but costs are lower. And yet on the other hand, it's like, well, actually we want some of that cross-pollinization, right? You know, we want those restaurants, that diversity of cuisine, you know, I'd like to get, you know, good Indian food and Thai food when I go back to, to you know, my home in Hardin County, Kentucky. And, um, so it's a really interesting time right now, I think. Well, so the, um, it's sort of like Green Acres 2.0, but, um, <laughs> but if you go back to uh, what happened in the pandemic in 1918, this is something that Tyler brought up. Uh, before 1918, the, there were a lot of restaurants and there was no real definitive American cuisine. And this may be more of a city comment, but nobody ate at home, or at least certainly nobody, I don't know what that means, but a dram dramatic amount of people did not eat at home. It just wasn't something they did. And, and there was French this, English that, there was a very, very broad array. Then when the influenza came in and prohibition, let's think about it, prohibition came in and you had influenza and prohibition, once you couldn't sell alcohol, because they were really making all their money on alcohol, all the restaurants just sort of disappeared because uh, they couldn't make money on food. And then, and then with the depression and all that, there's a lot of stuff that moves 
back home. And then that was sort of the defining of the American cuisine. That was like the, the very definitive moment where like, because imagine everybody really, if you think about it, 1918 timeframe, we still had people who were either first generation or, or were themselves immigrants. So we had a, there's a very eclectic set of food sources. And then it like through the depression, I believe it sort of normalized. And then after World War II, we underwrote a lot of the subsidies to really sort of attack grain on a global basis to really provide some stability in global geopolitics by making sure that starvation was not a strategy in war fighting. So we, we sort of drove some more normalization around cheap grains, I guess, um, which probably influenced world food system at some level. Uh, and so I don't know what, I'm unclear what's gonna happen next. I do think that, you know, we just got off, a, I just got off one of our deep dives on diabetes, which I'm gonna share with everybody, but it is pretty clear that the clinicians, and it's odd that it's researchers haven't accelerated this, but you know, the connection between ultra-processed and diabetes and the degree to which diabetes is growing as a pandemic of its own, it, it really does feel like that's gonna insert itself in the calculus of food. That uh, more on a more routine basis, you know, people who are not diabetics are now starting to use continuous blood glucose monitoring. Now that'll only be the real wackos, but it's becoming routine and the ability to sort of better connect that health connection and then the influence of the Gen Z's impacting parents on diet is, it feels like those are forces, those are forces in the yep. system that are gonna drive the system somewhere. I was, um, I was seeing some data and tell me this. So do you think we've reached peak restaurant? And, and all I'm referencing this to is, I, th this really threw me and this one threw me a curveball. There was a big, I don't know if it was Goldman or JP Moore. Someone sent me a big uh, research report they just released on Z's, Gen Z's. And they said millennials, you know, were really our generation that wanted experiences. And all the research and everything they're showing is Z's are going to completely reverse that trend. That they're not going to want that many experiences. I would have bet completely the opposite. I would have thought it continued. They were saying Z's are going to go for more, spend their money on technology. They like buy a huge monitor that will allow them to connect better to everyone because they're the only generation that's been born with Facebook, Google. I mean, they basically, they've been connected the whole yeah. time. Millennials were not. And they said they're not going to spend as much on experiences, not nearly as much. And it really started making me think and it said, they'll be more apt to buy packaged food, like a, a meal package plan that gets delivered, you know, 30 meals a, a week. And then they can sit there and be connected all day and really probably will go to just small little group gathering things and aren't that interested in the big concerts, the big events, the big, huge uh, experiences. That threw me for a loop because we've got a lot of money invested uh, in different areas that are, my opinion, 
they're based on experiences. So, you know, we've, I've kind of huddled up there and I'm like, shit, if that plays out, that's a little different, you know, for a lot of things. I like that package food thing, though, and I think Carter would agree. I mean, if they could create package meals that are the correct glucose, the collect, you know, the correct uh, formulas, I, I think that Z's really probably is going to go for that, like the like the Apple Watch, the Peloton buy. I mean, I think that plays right in with what we're seeing maybe play forward. There is going to be, there's going to be more subscription. Uh, are you guys hear me all right? Yeah, I hear. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there is going to be more subscription meals, uh, meal plans, just like diapers. Um, my kids have not gone to the store to buy diapers, and and either one, either one, either one of the, my my older kids that have kids have not. You and I went all the time. We, we ran a diaper. We had to go to the store, right? So uh, same thing's going to go for food. There's going to be a core amount of food that just get delivered. I mean, even cosmetics and everything else is going subscription model. So there is going to be some of that, but there is going to be some experience also. What we're finding with our, our CMO said that we had 1.2 billion impressions in the past three months on our drinks, just through Chipotle's uh, social media deal. But to me, that's a lot of, that's a lot of people uh, that are paying attention, but they want to be connected and they are talking more about, you know, where's it coming from? How's it grown? So they do want to understand more of it. And, and that, what was interesting was we had more people off of TikTok look at our stuff than we did Facebook. And I don't even know what the heck TikTok is. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. It's like, a, but it's like a nine to 15 year olds, like they, they actually paid attention to what we're doing. So it's kind of interesting. They, they do want experiences, but they also want to be in front of their phone 99% of the time. So there's a, they're not going to necessarily go to big concerts like we did when we were kids. They might be doing other things but they're always connected to their phone and they do want to show share their experiences so they will experience a food or and it doesn't matter if it's country or city when it comes to that people are more and more connected and and every time they wipe their butt they want to tell everybody about it but it's a uh, the reality is is there is some more experience but i i haven't really honed in on, on understanding that either uh, our restaurant's going to be less i think there's going to be more ghost kitchens there's going to be more deliveries than ever before I think people are more afraid of you know, hugging, touching, and all that, right? So, uh, you know, it, five years ago, you go to a city, everybody hugs each other, kisses on, on, on their cheek, on their forehead, and, and uh, in the country, maybe a high five from a distance, but um, all that's gone away. In the cities, they're opposite. In the country, they still shake your hand, and then, then somebody comes and sprays them with some sanitizer. But uh, it's a different world, for sure. Yeah, I... I think we've reached peak restaurant. I don't know why. I just kind of flipped on that in the last couple of weeks. And yeah, I do too. Maybe, but. Yeah, they, well, you, gotta, take out. you can't ignore what people are trying to do also with things like uh, minimum wage. I mean, oh, the, for sure. when, if we go into a mode of saying $15 minimum wage that, you know, LA can handle that, but Iowa can't. I mean, if it becomes national and, yeah, Washington yeah. isn't doing very well with that either. Yeah, I mean, it's look, I you know, I, I could quickly argue the minimum wage is zero, um, and that, <laughs> and that means automate. I mean, hundred uh, percent. And, and uh, so I think once you once that kind of stuff starts happening, it's just it's just gonna you're gonna see, you may see a flip switch moment where somebody just sort of gets a little bit further along in terms of some of that automation. 
And, uh, and then we start thinking about, if you start thinking about automation, then you're going to start thinking about designing the food so that it's more automatable. And you're just going to, there's going to be like this thread of that kind of stuff going on um, that's going to streamline uh, capability, eliminate waste, all those kinds of things. But it, you know, I think that makes, that gives price advantage to ghost kitchens maybe. Um, if you want quality food, it's clear, one thing it's clear is it's with a little bit of education, you can make better high quality food for less at home. So for example, if you sous vide beef, you can cook a steak just as well as the best chef. And it takes no thinking whatsoever to do. So. Uh, now people don't have time to cook fresh at home, but fresh always tastes better, and and there's a natural gravitation towards. They do, they do now. That's what's interesting is is people are are going out of their way and finding more artisan meats, like like they did 15 years ago, where they would actually know what a prime steak was. They're going out of their way, city and country, to get more better tasting, experiential, and they're they're sharing that with people. Like, hey, I had a Piedmontese steak. And then they sent a picture to their friends. Yeah, I haven't been able to find a Brazilian tip cut, um, to your point, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, but why I'm looking for it is because I had it down in Memphis today. And I was like, Jesus, that is unbelievable. Um, so they, but I think that where we were more focused in cost and speed before, I think nutrition and taste are going to be more in that equation. I don't know how that's going to land across the the restaurants and such, but um, I don't you think there's going to be a bifurcation then, right? Because you're going to, if you're thinking about this at home thing, you know, you've only have a certain number, of, you know, maybe one day, maybe three days a month that you have time to do that. So you go yeah. really high end, and then the rest of the time it's either subscription with, you know, it shows up and it's whether it's meal kit in a box or it's prepared meals. I've always thought that if we wanted to think about, you know, kind of the efficient system with the less food waste, uh, you know, you have things prepared in central kitchens and delivered out, right? That's yeah. how you make less food waste in the system. People yeah. are like, oh, no, no, that'll never happen. But we're really close to that now. Yeah, I mean, it's a, the barriers to the next step are not huge. Like, so in your case, because I, different tastes, so small family at home so we're not dealing with 10 kids well travis maybe is but 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 we're not we're not dealing with well my nephew when i grew up we ate what was put on the table when i grew up around my nephew was growing up his parents like basically who were two yale graduates seemed to spend their entire time concentrating on meeting his exact needs, which just turned into the stupidest conversation. And it's just like, you people went to Yale and you've like now become servants to your, to your five-year-old? Are you kidding me? But um, as you get to a smaller group, I know I have this challenge with, between me and my wife in terms of she sort of wants to be in one lane of food and I sort of want to be in a different lane of food. And so, it, Mary, have you tried any of the meal kits? Yeah, we've we've done Blue Apron for three years. It saved us during this pandemic. We never would have uh, we would have been divorced for sure, my husband and I. 
And you eat different like, meals? You order no. different meals? Yeah, because it's never, Blue Apron is one, it's never the same, but we, we don't order different meals there. So that is a challenge. So it's like whatever the meal is, both of us have to eat it. So that gets us to that slowest common denominator. I've tried one that's actually, you can kind of mix and match, um, but I didn't find the quality as high. So it's, you know, it's like somebody that can solve that, you know, the things that, you know, one of the challenges now, some meals just don't deliver well. Like yeah. seafood, you can't order like takeout seafood from a restaurant. It's just like bad by the time it gets here. So I really miss that. You can't get ice cream either. What'd you say, Travis? You can't get ice cream delivered. Doesn't work, right? There's certain things that you just can't get right. Um, and then yeah. even with meats, like you can get them frozen delivered to you, but fresh, you know, it's a hit or miss, especially with pork or chicken. Yeah. So well, that's people will craft something new. I mean, they'll, yeah. they'll figure out a different way. You just won't have ice cream and dessert any longer. The, you'll teach the Gen Zs to eat something different. They just won't ever even think about ice cream any longer. Because yeah. they'll be, they will eat that which can be served to them automatically. And their taste profile will be sort of semantically defined, meaning if it can, if it can be delivered, then that's what you can eat. Yeah. <laughs> So here's an interesting part of this conversation is, is one of the issues that we have with commodity grains, meats, processing the way we do, and then having a distribution model where we go through wholesalers and we go through all the different chains to get to the restaurant. It's, you can actually have a higher quality product because you're getting more money when you're doing a direct-to-consumer SaaS model. So that's one thing when, when you're getting a, when you're, from a nutrition perspective and a health perspective, you can get prepackaged foods that are better for you because you've got more margin in it when they're buying from you direct online than going through the, the normal system. So you're gonna see a big shift in that now. Well, but is that, you know, that gets to a system C question. Is that system C or system B? Is it better, cheaper or better, more expensive? Uh, it's, it's a combination. It's a, you can get better at around the same price than if you were to go to the store to get it. So there, there'll be a competition a bit, but it's uh, but when you look at how much people were spending on eating out and what percentage they were eating out a year ago versus now, it's cheaper for them to get a prefab, custom, healthier version than, the, than what they were getting before. So I guess one question I have about that, again, thinking about the future, you know, is this D to C, is it like, that I have to go online and order this from here and this from here and this from here, or is there a platform that I can, like Amazon, that you know I can make those choices and then it gets aggregated and comes to me because I can see this D2C thing work, but I can't sort through like you know 50 websites to figure out what I'm going to have for dinner. Yeah. Yeah, it'll get it'll get honed in. Um, Amazon will 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 end up owning it. They'll, they know how to do it. They've already done it. Uh, so it'll be, it'll be a process through them. You know, if you look at how Amazon got to where they're at today, they tried doing a fresh delivery deal about 12 years ago. Didn't work. Now they own Whole Foods. They can do it every day uh, in the cities, not everywhere else. So that's where it comes back to it, the DTC is going to be a, a quality play where they're going to have quality products. Um, it's all about distribution. They've got distribution centers everywhere. Uh, refrigerator and frozen, not so much. Uh, but you'll see the you know, aseptic package, the dry, all that stuff coming more of a subs subscription model. And then the fresh stuff might be a little more interesting, 
and then frozen, uh, you know, like ice cream and desserts, you're, you're still going to go to the store to get those and milk. Uh, you're not going to you get seeing, milk. Uh, are you seeing uh, Amazon delivery in your area? Oh, yeah. Uh, what's everywhere. your population? How rural are you? What's your well, population? I, we're, we're next to Spokane, Washington. So we've got 750 million, or, yeah, 750 million people, or 750,000 people uh, within a, an hour radius. But they've got Amazon centers throughout the whole country. You know, you can go to pretty much any any rural area in the country, and you're going to see close closer to a big city within a couple hours that uh, Amazon's being pretty efficient. So you're if you're three hours out, you're probably not going to get Amazon as much, but they actually buy more. They get deliveries more often because it's because they don't get to the city as much, and then, and now they're afraid to go to the city to you know because of COVID. So people are getting more deliveries. I mean, look at look at Bezos' net worth this year. I mean, that tells you something. No, I'm wondering, actually, well, are the vans out there yet, or are they using other uh, third-party logistics people? FedEx, FedEx and the vans are, are what are really running it. Um, if you yeah. see, the, I mean, UPS too, uh, but in general, you're, people are getting deliveries every day or every few days in pretty much every household in America right now. Really, it's crazy. It just doesn't seem like that's a more efficient system, but maybe... It, it's not. And the boxes and the garbage and everything else is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, we just have an unbelievable amount of boxes. If they could pick the boxes up, it would be liberating, right? You know, why can't they deliver stuff in totes and then take the tote the next day? Uh, then you got bacteria and somebody got COVID and kind of like the old uh, milk bottles. Uh, they don't do that anymore either. Uh, it's, that's, that's one of the, the, one of the big opportunities is actually a better packaging system. We talked about hemp stuff before. Carter, uh, you know, having more sustainable stuff that you could turn into something else. I don't know. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a big question, but that's definitely a major issue. Recently here, Carter, Michelle told her, she orders stuff from Amazon all the time. It's shown up not in Amazon boxes. I'm just talking a sticker on the, she had a turkey fryer just sitting outside. She had just random stuff just sitting with stickers on it like no boxes it's like wow they must be running low on boxes out here where we're at but it, it brings up what mary was saying you know that's interesting today we had the uh, doordash ipo and you know doordash is somewhat of a platform i guess you could could argue uh or uber eats or grubhub How, do we see more groceries or like instacart my wife we'd never used instacart really now she, she did use instacart all the time um do we see that Uber Eats or DoorDash, are those getting more into the grocery delivery side of it? Or is that an Instacart thing? Or what are you guys hearing? I'm assuming they'll become platforms. Yeah, I think they just, there's going to be more depth at that level. And there, there's got to be an alternative to Amazon, and there will be. And um, I am fascinated. Uh, uh, we're on the hunt. I'm always interested in latent demand. You know, what is the, what's the unmet demand close to the consumer and trying to detect that early. And I'm, tr I'm sort of wondering whether if we have that information at the consumer level, does it help the Benson business model? Which I can't convince myself it does yet, but I'm intrigued if it does, because then they, if you think about it, you know, what's the Google search of food? Who has the data that says this person wants spaghetti and meat sauce and this person wants 
uh, salmon with, you know, chives. Um, so there is a platform like that. Uh, there's some technologies coming. I, I can't say too much about it because I'm kind of in the thick. Well, now you're getting to <laughs> uh, in, in the next three weeks or so, I'll have a conversation with you guys about that. But there's a solution coming uh, that you guys will see soon. And, um, and it's, it's uh, through the technologies, they can basically aim exactly at a product, figure out how it's doing, if it's doing well, and what the opportunity is, how to attack it, and see where there's opportunities in that. Um, I'll have more for you guys on that one in about, about three weeks. So, they, but there's a there's a layer of information available right there that sort of picks up whether these trends are shifting. Within three hours, you can figure out exactly what to make and uh, and how to make it better. And so that comes back to health, nutrition, what's trending, and what people are buying and how much. Yeah. Um. And then the convergence of that back to the, why is it that my Garmin does not automatically know what I eat? Why do I have to go stick in fitness pal? Um, why can't it just figure it out just off of my behavior? I did see an episode, an experience with uh, the CIO at American Express, and American Express is reverse engineering what people are eating based off their bill. Hmm. And using kind of freaky. automatically feed Fitness Pal. Now they've done it within the Express, American Express team with the health plan. So they have their own captive health plan and they've been testing it, but they can, through people's activity, automatically pick up. And it's only a matter of time before, um, even through your store purchases, that you get level three data off of that purchase and know that you bought three avocados, so feed a thing of lettuce and then, and use that to sort of better understand, but it it's, on the healthcare side, our healthcare costs continue to climb. There's, there's nothing about a Medicare for all business plan that does anything to solve healthcare costs at the level that we need to solve it. Um, so that's just lipstick on a pig. It's, it's gonna require people to change their diet. And it's either, it would be preferably for people that if we can expose those economics, people will make their decision. But, but you've got a lot of the insurance people saying, how can we get people to eat better? Should we subsidize their food? That's sort of a goofy model. And, and the right model is for it to happen in the marketplace and through food innovation. And so I think that they're, I'm still sort of wondering what that coupling might be because you know the numbers we keep saying is this 1.7 trillion in the United States of food and there's $2 trillion of nutrition related healthcare. Diabetes. Uh, part of that. Part of that is, is in we're, we're in the thick of that right now on, on innovation, is uh, you know, for livestock, we always pay attention to total digestible nutrients, like what the animals are actually eating and what's going out the back end of them. We don't do that with humans. So we might eat 4,000 calories. Uh, are we actually, are we digesting all of it? And the stuff that we're eating, does it cause worse digestion? So one of the things that we're working on is, is uh, Obviously, the prebiotic dynamic. I, I, I want to, all of you should look at prebiotics, but you know what? What are they? Now you look at chicory as one, but Drew some artichoke. There's certain things that you're going to see in all the foods that you eat now that are coming, and you won't necessarily take a pill for it. It'll be built out, but it also adds function and body and taste and texture. And um, and what we're seeing is, is we can add more total digestible nutrients and less sugar 
Uh, we can add it. I'm even seeing at the big plants, like a lot of waste products, like, like the bones and all the offal and other things like that, which we haven't been eating. We've been eating on bone skin, the chicken breasts and pork chops, but we don't eat the bones and those minerals that we're deficient in cause us not to be able to digest. So you'll see in the next you know, year or so where they're able to process the stock into a way that becomes more, you know, appetizing. There's a lot of people that are, that are eating less meat, but they're eating more collagen products. They're putting, they're, they're looking for those amino acids and nutrients, and we can get away with 1,200, 1,500 calories a day of, of good quality food versus 4,000. We're just not there yet. But that'll be something that in the next six months, we're going to see um, some more in, interesting conversations about waste not, want not, and what we're eating and what we're wasting. And uh, people are going to start gravitating and understanding more about that. Perfect. Todd, I won't be respectful to everybody's time where we had about 11, aren't we? So, you know, I, I, I think we've, you know, kind of all on the same page, uh, similar, similarly agree. COVID's definitely changed some things. Uh, maybe we've re reached peak restaurant. We think people are going to go, I like Carter saying quality. Um, and maybe, you know, obviously more healthy. We see more healthy as the big push. And I love Mary's point. I think people, you know, they want to order their own things. And, and we have this city versus rule kind of thing, jockeying going on in all areas. And it's, it's going to be interesting, I guess, how it plays out. And, and, and as Carter said, I think we don't really know nearby um, from a farming aspect where to pivot. There's going to be a few little pockets where things need to be grown, but, you know, we're just going to have to let it develop and play out and uh, see who wins some of these spaces. And looks looks like that's where we're headed. Um, same types of things. So if anybody's got any closing comments, I'd love to hear from everyone and we'll wrap it up. Carter, you missed it at the beginning. I just told everyone we're not going to be able to do the farm kind of event, uh, but we, we have everyone, you know, we're going to periodically every two, three weeks have folks that, uh, we're on stage and just sharing their thoughts and uh, and you know so we thought this was a great way to just stay connected with people until the next event the following year similar to uh, you know Carter's event in Memphis you're going to have Memphis in May again right Carter we should that should be Memphis next sometime event. Memphis <laughs> somewhere sometime we don't know if it'll be May we're hoping so we'll yeah call it May when we do it we'll, we'll pretend it's May yeah so. Mary, you have anything else? Uh, just as it's such an interesting time, right? So I do think, you know, we're right about these pockets of opportunity, particularly around, um, you know, what can be local, regional right now. You know, people are really interested in food, may not ever have thought about it before, especially those, you know, some of those, those city people that just thought it was on supermarkets. So I think there is an opportunity to grab onto that while we can and run with it. And, um, and then hopefully the settle out, it's not going to be, you know, 100%, but if we can just raise the bar on it some, that, that's a better outcome. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Travis, you got any final words? No, it's, uh, it'll be a fun next year, too, watching, watching everything kind of unfold and unravel and either get back on track or change. Um, it takes 40 days to change a habit, they say. Um, what's, what's it going to look like when it's a year? Uh, we might have some totally different habits uh, going forward, uh, and and it'll affect all of our you know health and how we deal with people. And and uh, it's been interesting just not having to fly across the country 
every week throughout the whole year. It's it's uh it's nice to get back to the family. At the same time, the family is getting anxious to go do stuff. So uh, we'll be visiting you guys, and I'm sure uh, driving cross country, visiting you on the way back. Hey Travis, I got a marketing tip for you. How about you on a skateboard, tractor soda, singing a little Fleetwood Mac TikTok. <laughs> Instead of the ocean spray, give give us something good on TikTok. <laughs> I, 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 you know that might it might be better for Justin because he's my hippie partner, uh, but uh, but maybe I'm pulling him on a skateboard with the tractor. I we'll figure it out. <laughs> we get Carter maybe do it. Carter, what do you think, buddy? I say that. Uh, what's I missed a part of the question. What do I think about what? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> what do you think about? Uh, you're still breaking up. You got the last word. Uh, you want me to? You got the last word. The last word. I think. Uh, what do I think? I think it's a fascinating period of time, and things are going to speed up a lot. And I think that people people are going to come out of COVID with the desire to drive things that are important to them, and politics is going to become nearly irrelevant. I think we've. We've had 20 years of increasing political power and divisiveness through, you know, the polarization of I watch Fox News or I watch MSNBC or whatever, uh, and that people are going to mute that and they're going to get back to reality about cool things that we can do. And I think the globe is going to look to the U.S. to be the leader in food and uh, agriculture innovation. And places like Asia, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, concentrate on core innovations that come out of the U.S. And that their own food supplies can be modified by that. And that the, that sort of the presence of China's dominance in this sort of world innovation will sort of shift in a way that they're going to they're be reduced and that we're going to have a renaissance of innovation led by people in the United States who are Gen Zers who are like ready to kick ass. That's my... I remind, I, I'm with Carter, I remind all my stock, bar, stock market uh, bear friends, you know, following 1918, 1919, roaring 20s, I mean, we ripped right through the roaring 20s. Uh, in a time of uh, just great expansion. And yeah, we did follow with the Great Depression, but I, I think I'm with Carter. I think we're gonna be on a period of uh, massive expansion and growth with loose money, cheap rates, pent up. I think it's gonna explode probably for the next five, six, seven, eight years. So Yeah, and one other thing they one other thing to watch from a market signal standpoint is if we get back into a world of yield curve yield curve inversion that could be a signal that everybody's buying into that because really what yield co what yield inversion yield curve inversion means in an innovation in an innovation flux is that people are writing down uh, capital assets that we're moving into a mode where where existing capital infrastructures can be written down and that the yield curve inversion occurs because the the markets realized it before the banks and if we see that signal, it's even a stronger signal that we're like wax on and watch out for those damn Gen Zers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I appreciate it, everyone. Thank you guys. And uh, we'll send it out. Appreciate you guys. Always okay. fun. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you, Travis Carter.
Merry Christmas, you guys. You too, buddy. See you guys.